We're so grateful to you for that blood that cleanses us, that declares us to be righteous, that enables us to come with boldness before the throne of grace. God, thank you. We have access to you. We can call you Father. We can be in relationship with you all because of that blood that was shed. And as we turn to the Bible now and we consider the theme of prayer, I pray, God, that you'd help us to be prayers. Help us to people who don't just do the ritual of prayer, but help us to know you. Make full access that has been made available to us through Jesus' death and resurrection. God, thank you. Thank you for everyone joining today. You know everyone's life. You know their journey. God, some people joining today aren't yet connected with you. My prayer, God, is that you would draw them into that relationship with you. And I pray, God, for those who are uh, faith-filled believers, I pray, God, that you'd strengthen our faith. God, we give this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome to Church Online. My name is Pete, pastor here at Destiny, and it's a joy to take you on a journey in the Bible. I love, I love teaching the Bible, and today we're starting a new series on the theme of prayer. So whether you're first time with us, welcome, or whether this is a regular experience for you, love you guys and girls. Thanks for connecting. Okay, there was a husband and wife having a conversation together, and the, the wife, wife asked me why I'm so softly spoken in the house. And I said, I'm afraid that Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg might be listening in. <laughs> she laughed. <laughs> I laughed. Alexa laughed, and Siri laughed. I mean, that's the reality, right? We don't know who's listening in in our conversations, but the truth is, God hears you when you pray. I love that. And this uh, part of the Bible, we're, we're in Matthew's gospel still, and Jesus is speaking about the beauty and the simplicity and the power of prayer. Let me start how Jesus starts. This is in Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. I'm just going to read the first few, ver- first few words first. And Jesus says, when you pray, say that with me. When you pray. He's not asking if you pray. He's assuming people pray. Why? Because we were created that way. It's natural for people to pray. We were created to have a relationship with the Creator. I don't know if some of you probably saw in the news over the last year reports and research being carried out. There was one bit of research carried out by the University of Copenhagen. And last year, 2020, during the pandemic, they looked at Google searches across 95 countries. And they discovered that there was a spike, 50% increase of people Googling, how do you pray? I mean, why is it that through a hard time, why is it in a pandemic? People turn to prayer. People turn to God. Well, It's because crisis awakens something ancient in our souls. Crisis awakens something that actually is the most natural thing. Prayer is the most important thing, an activity that a human being can do. And actually, it was the first activity human beings ever did. Before humans ever spoke to humans, Adam spoke to God before the creation of Eve. Humans were designed before any communication with other humans, our first orientation was a vertical orientation with God. It is the most natural thing. And Jesus assumes you're going to pray when you pray. Dale Carnegie wrote a book entitled How to Stop Worrying 
and start living. And in the book, he tells a story of a lady called Mary Cushman. Let me read you an excerpt about this, li- this lady's life. It was the Great Depression of the 1930s, and it had all been, been all but devastating for Mary's family. Her husband's paycheck had shrunk to $18 a week, and since he was ill a lot, there were many weeks when he didn't even earn that much. She dressed her five kids in Salvation Army handout clothing. At one point, the local grocer to whom they owed $50 accused her 11-year-old son of stealing. That was all Mary could take. Uh, Mary said, I couldn't see any hope. Uh, I shut off my washing machine. I took my five-year-old girl into the bedroom. We plugged up the windows and the cracks with paper and rags. I turned the gas heater on that we had in the bedroom and I didn't light it. And I lay down in the bed with my daughter beside me and I said, we'll take a little nap. Then I closed my eyes and listened to the gas escape from the heater. I shall never forget the smell of the gas. Suddenly, I heard music. I listened. I had forgotten to turn the radio off in the kitchen. I heard something, someone singing an old hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. As I listened to the hymn, I realized that I had made a terrible and a tragic mistake. And I tried to fight my battles alone. I jumped up, turned off the gas, opened the door, raised my window... Mary went on to explain how she spent the rest of her day giving thanks to God for the blessings she had forgotten. Five healthy children. She promised that she would never be ungrateful again. Her family eventually lost their home, but she never lost her hope. They weathered the depression, and those five children grew up, got married, and had children of their own. Mary said, as I look back on that terrible day when I turned on the gas, I shall thank God over and over that I woke up in time. What joys I would have missed. How wonderful, how many wonderful years I would have forfeited forever. You see, you were never, ever meant to do life alone. You were meant to know God, Jesus says, when you pray. Because it is human. It is so fundamental to how you were created to talk to God. Jesus continues, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask them. Here Jesus contrasts true praying with kind of fake, shallow praying. He he describes, you know, the the hypocrites and their praying is actually to get something from people. They want accolade and ego and reputation and recognition from people. They're praying to get something from people. The pagans are praying to get something from God. They think it's like a deal. The more they babble, the more they repeat this, the more they do their ritual, that somehow or another 
oh, God, it'll persuade God to do what we want him to do. It's like a contractual deal. And Jesus says, listen, neither like the hypocritical religious people who are doing it for a show, nor like the pagans who babble in order to get something from God. That's not how I want you to pray. Instead, it is a relationship. (laughs) You see, if I go into my car and turn the car key and it doesn't, nothing happens, I might think, okay, it doesn't work. If I plug in my laptop and switch the power button on and nothing happens, I might conclude it doesn't work. If, however, I say to my wife, honey, tonight I want you to cook my favorite meal, three courses, and wake me up tomorrow morning with a cappuccino, and it doesn't happen, I will not conclude it doesn't work (laughs) because it's different, right? Because it's a relationship, because it's an interaction, because there's personality, because there's emotion, because there's purpose, and because there's respect. And that's what prayer is like. Prayer isn't about, I just, I put the money in and I pulled the thing and nothing came out of the bottom. No, God's not a slot machine. God is calling us into relationship. That's why Jesus says, when you pray, pray to your father. He's talking about, he's here, he's using this description of a relationship with the almighty creator as an intimate relationship with the father. Then he says, then your father who sees what is done in secret he will reward you. Do you have a secret life? I've got a secret life. The most memorable moments in my 45 years on earth have been in the presence of God. I remember them. I can, t- I can describe many of them to you. They have been the highlights. There have been many other great blessings. But these times in the presence of God have been so special in this presence, I'll cry, I'll pour out my heart, I'll petition him, I'll be still, I'll listen, I'll seek him, I'll wait on his direction, I'll praise him. And in those times, and I don't always understand, sometimes I pray and I don't understand what's going on and I don't understand my circumstances and I go with questions. Sometimes no answers come. There's other times where I hear him. I really hear him. And boy, some of the greatest decisions I've ever made in my life that have borne a lot of fruit came from those moments in that secret place. There's no substitute. You were created to have a relationship with God in secret. So I want you to know God experientially, not theoretically. I want you to have an authentic relationship with God. I want you to know him leading you I want you to have that experience for yourself and your family. I want you to have testimonies. I want you to know how God did that for us. God stepped in. God healed me. God provided that. God helped me navigate the toughest time in my life. God turned that for the good. I want you to have those stories. Not secondhand stories, not cheering other people on with their story. I want you to have your own story, your relationship with God. That's what Jesus is calling us into. Jesus says, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. All through the Bible, we see great examples of this. We see Moses who wrote Psalm 91. I love what it says in verse 1. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And that Psalm goes on to describe the divine covering and protection of God over someone who dwells in that secret place with God. Secret place. You've got to have that secret place. That place, just you and God, doesn't need to be behind closed doors. I think that Jesus is using that as an analogy. 
In other words, the emphasis being on you and God. You can do it in a mountain, or you can do uh, For me, I go down by the river near where I live. But you can find that place, but you've got to find that secret place. And Moses, who said this, this um, he experienced that secret place, and he became one of the greatest leaders planet Earth has seen. He led over a million people from slavery in Egypt through into a promised land. Incredible leadership, but because he had a secret place with God. We see Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, and it says, he, that's Daniel, went home to his upstairs room where the window was open towards Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God. See, this is a time, actually, the context was that it was, it was illegal to pray. And right then, when Daniel was on his knees, it was actually, it had just been, it just been declared illegal in Babylon, where Daniel was, to pray. And yet Daniel got down on his knees and prayed. And this ended up being the case that he was thrown in the lion's den because of this. It was costly for him to do this. But for Daniel, this was his lifeline. This was the source of life itself, being in the presence of God. And for Daniel, it happened three times a day. And this, this relationship with God led him on to hearing God, interpreting dreams, and changing the course of history. Wow, you read the book of Daniel. I love what Daniel says in Daniel 11, verse 32. Read this verse with me. This is from the Amplified Translation. The people who know their gods shall prove themselves strong, shall stand firm and do exploits for God. So let's read it again. The people who know their gods shall prove themselves strong, shall stand firm and shall do exploits for God. It's that hidden source. It's that secret place that fuels everything else that comes out of your life. And then having emphasized the privacy of that relationship with the Father, Jesus then goes on to teach us how to pray. This is in verses 9 to 13, Matthew 6, 9 to 13. He says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors or those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And some later manuscripts add in, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Love that. That is awesome. Jesus taught us how to pray this. And I, I just want to unpack that a little bit with you and show you how you can use this in your own prayer time. So first of all, he starts deliberately with the important emphasis. He says, our Father in heaven. And this phrase, our Father in heaven, actually sums up the entirety of the rest of the prayer that Jesus taught us. Our Father in heaven. Muslims would say that God is too great to be called Father. The Bible teaches that God is great, that he is king, judge, creator, the almighty, and yet father. You can know him, the almighty, as father. You see, not everyone can call the president of the United States dad. You see, not everyone can get to see the president of the United States. Special people, important people, people who have position can get to see the president of the United States. You need an appointment to see the president of the United States. You need to be screened. If out of the blue, you start running towards the president of the United States, you'd be shot. One of his security detail 
would probably shoot you. So that is the case unless the President of the United States happens to be your dad. You're allowed to run to the President of the United States. In fact, if you're one of his kids, you could wake him up at three in the morning and ask him for a glass of water, and that would be okay. That doesn't make him any less the president, the fact that he's also your father. You see, it says, I pray to your father in heaven. In heaven means he's massive. In heaven, he's massive. He is a plan for the universe. His kingdom, he is the king, and he has a kingdom that's coming. But also, he's our father. That means he's intimate. That means he has a plan for you. He's interested in the details of your life. He's in heaven, he's massive, and yet he's our father. He's interested in the details. You see, the prayer comes, it goes from, and this, we see this through the whole prayer, it goes from your kingdom come, you know, the, the, this great king is coming, the Jesus Christ will return, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth, there'll be a judgment day, all the way through to, give us this day our daily bread, I'd love a sandwich for lunch please. Okay, the prayer goes from, you know, the big, the, he's interested in ending wars and bringing down the dictators, but he also wants to get you a girlfriend. I love how God is so massive, and yet he's so intimately interested in the seemingly trivial details of our lives. You know, I remember when I worked as an architect, that's, that's what I did when we, we started the church, and I worked in the city centre for five years, and I remember one occasion I was in the architect's office, I, uh, I, I was working on a particular job, and I was down in the product library looking through, in those days, these days it would all be online, but in those days we had physical books with different th- items that we could specify for jobs. And I was looking through one of these product catalogs, and there in the catalog w- were these chairs in, in, in like a foyer. And I looked at these chairs, and they were beautiful chrome and leather chair designed by Matteo Grazzi, a classic 20th century modernist chair. And I saw these chairs and I thought, oh, I really like those chairs. That's all I said. I didn't, I didn't pray a prayer. I just remember thinking, oh, I really like those chairs. Anyway, that night, as I was going home from work, uh, the work I worked in the Newtown Edinburgh, and we lived in Haymarket. So I took a kind of diagonal route through the little back streets. Uh, and as I was passing ha- kind of halfway home, I went by the back of a famous hairdresser called Charlie Muller, and at the back of the hairdresser was five Matteo Grazzi chairs lying in the lane. I thought, no way. So I went round and knocked the door and said, what's happening with those chairs? I said, oh, we're getting rid of them. You can have them if you want. I said, you're kidding me. So I managed to pick up all five of them, and I walked home that day. Angie thought, what have you come home with? <laughs> I walked home with five chrome and leather original Matteo Grazzi chairs. These were about £1,000 each. Amazing chairs. But it was just a little thing under my breath. Oh, I really like those chairs. <laughs> Incredible. In fact, I went back the next day to look at the same car, just to double check, because there are some similar chairs to that. But no, no, it was literally the exact chairs. I believe in a God. And it's, to me, I mean, it, it's neither here nor there whether I've got those chairs. But to me, it just said, there's a God in heaven who is so huge that the heavens cannot even contain him. And yet he's interested in the smallest details of our lives. Our Father. When I say our Father, it reminds me I can't just say that for cheap. That came at a price tag. I get to call him Father at his own huge expense. See, 178 times throughout the New Testament, Jesus refers to God as Father. 
God the Son refers to God the Father as Father 178 times, apart from one occasion. And there's one occasion when Jesus refers to God as God. It's recorded for us in Mark 15, 34, where Jesus on the cross, as the sin of the world has been placed upon him, as your sin, as my sin has been placed upon him, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The only time he doesn't call him Father, because in that moment, he had no sin in him, but our sin was on him. He was carrying upon himself the entire sin of the world. That sin which left undealt with would damn us to hell. Jesus literally died in our place, paid the price for the sin. And in that moment of darkness, there was a separation because sin separates us from God. And Jesus personally experienced the separation as the sin of the world was placed on him. And he was separated temporarily so that you and I could be eternally united in relationship with God and forevermore call him Father. That's what Jesus did. At huge expense, we get to call him Father. Isn't that good news? Now today, maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior. Today, this could be, this, this could be the moment where today you make the greatest decision of your life and trust in Jesus to be your Savior. I will give you the opportunity to do that at the end of the message. So Jesus did that so that we could call him Father. What a privilege, our Father, all because of what Jesus did. Reminds me of a cartoon by Johnny Hart, and uh, one of his BC cartoons. And, it, and it's got three guys talking, and the first one says, would you lay down your life for someone else? And the second guy says, that would be pretty stupid. Uh, the third guy said, yeah, that would be, that, why would we do that? It goes, the next slide shows the, the first guy again asking, what if you love someone so much you're willing to give your life for them? And then the second guy said, you mean like, would we die in their place? And the third guy said, so that they wouldn't have to? Then the next slides, we see the first guy saying, bingo. The second guy says, no one has that much love. The third guy says, if anyone did, I'd sure hate to lose him. Overhearing the conversation, a fourth guy steps in and says, well, guys, I've got good news and good news. You see, the good news is that Jesus did love you so much to die for you. And the good news is you don't need to lose him. In fact, he'll never lose you. You, by trusting Jesus, become part of the family of God. God becomes your father. Jesus is your savior and you're eternally secure. That's great news. Our father. Notice this, the prayer doesn't start with sin and confession. In the Old Testament, the tabernacle was set up describing the way of worshiping God. And as you approach the tabernacle, and only the priests could, they came and they came in, and first of all, they were faced with the altar where sacrifice had to be made and blood needed to be shed because of sin. And then only after a certain ritual and ceremony and sacrifice, then could they only enter the very holy of holies, the very presence of God. But here Jesus doesn't start the prayer with sacrifice. Why? Because through the sacrifice of Jesus already accomplished. It says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14, for by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. For by one sacrifice, if you trusted in Jesus, you have been made perfect forever. Do you believe that? That's incredible. You have been made perfect forever. I look at my behavior and I think, I don't seem like I'm acting that way. I know 
But as far as God's concerned, he no longer interacts with you based on your sin. He now interacts with you based on Jesus and his righteousness has become yours. So we don't start from the outside working our way in. You're already in the Holy of Holies. That's why Jesus starts from the inside. He says, our Father. He doesn't start with sin. We get to that, but he starts with acknowledgement of our Father. Our Father. Our Father tells me he's for us. He's for us. You know, you have a dad sitting on a sofa and there's a kid in the living room, his, his daughter, and she's dancing away. Imagine the dad sitting there with arms folded, kind of scowling at the kid, unimpressed. You know, it won't be long before the kid eventually says, stuff this, I've had enough of this, and uh, starts to recoil and stops the dancing and starts to realize that she, she isn't being accepted. And she starts to withdraw and it inhibits her life. And some people are like that before God. They see him as a frowning God, as, a, as an austere um, old dude with a beard. And you think, man, he's, he's not for me. That is not true. That is so not true. If you've not read your Bible, you've not seen what Jesus did for you. But imagine a picture of a father on, on his sofa and the daughter's dancing in the living room. And instead of scowling, the dad's on the edge of his seat and he's saying, go on, go on, let's say, that was a great move. And why didn't you try this? And she starts whirling and you're getting more creative. That's what happens. You see, when you realize that God is for you, it brings out exactly who God intended you to be. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, what, if God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not with him also freely give us all things? I love that. Our father tells us he's for me. Our father tells me he's generous. When I approach and call him our father, I realize he's generous. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. God, it doesn't please God to come with a expecting him not to bless you attitude. Of course it doesn't. You think, oh, I'm generous. I'm a good father. Well, you come with an expectation. I remember my daughter, Becky, in her fifth birthday, we had a birthday party at home and all our friends were around. We played all the party games and had the cake. It was a little classic birthday party. And it came to the, every birthday party has to have past the parcel. So we had wrapped up the past the parcel, I had the prize on the inside, and me and Angie had agreed, I was going to do the music, and Angie and myself agreed, Angie said, no, so Peter, remember, it's, it's Becky's birthday party, she's got lots of presents, so she should not be the one to win. Remember, when it gets to that last wrapping, make sure someone else wins. Got it, Angie. And I'm on the music. So the thing's going around, it's going through different rounds, and as we get into that last round, Becky just keeps looking at me. Man, she just keeps looking at me, right? I'm, I'm there, and I, I'm watching her go around, and then she, as she gets the parcel, she, it lingers, and she looks at me, and I can't help myself. I just stop the music right there, and she wins past the parcel. And I, I mean, what, 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 what could I do? Do you know what I'm saying? She, she's looking at me with those eyes of expectation, so I think, well, okay. And I guess when I think of that moment, Angie wasn't that just, but I think of that moment... <laughs> I think, you know what? That's exactly how God is. God, God wants us to come with an expectation. Those who come to God, without faith, it's impossible to please Him. If you're going to come to God, you need to believe that He exists and that He is a rewarder 
of those who earnestly seek it. Wow. He is desiring to be generous to you. Then he says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. This is the entire purpose of the universe. This is the purpose of your life, to hallow and glorify God. Is this helpful? You bet it is hugely helpful. Because if if you don't have this at the start of the prayer, you could come so focused and consumed on your stuff, on the problems. And there's lots of problems, right? Many of you are going through huge challenges. But if you're consumed with those challenges, then you don't get the breakthroughs. Whereas if you start this way, hallowed be your name. It's the people who have actually hallowed the name of God in the midst of their challenges have seen the greatest breakthrough. You look at Paul and Silas in the prison. They worshipped. They hallowed the name of God. And then they had their breakthrough. You see David in the cave, hallowing the name of God. Read the Psalms. Hallowing the name of God. And God took him out of that season in his life and brought him into being a great king. Hallow the name of God. That's where it starts. And then he goes on to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's interesting. Why pray your will be done on earth if his will is automatically done on earth? Some people are fatalists. They just believe that everything that happens, oh, well, that's the will of God. You know, I see a lot of stuff that happening that has nothing to do with the will of God. Sovereignly, he allows it, but that's different. It's not what he wants. I see a lot of things that are, quite frankly, the will of the devil or the will of evil people. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. By Jesus teaching us to pray that way, there's a clear inference that the will of God being done is intrinsically and inseparably linked to us praying and asking him for it to be done. John Wesley says, God does nothing but in answer to prayer. So therefore, powerful praying isn't praying what you want. Powerful praying is figuring out what he wants and praying what he wants. You see, there is an ultimate answer coming to that prayer, your kingdom come, when his kingdom will ultimately come on earth. Heaven will invade earth. The Jesus Christ will return. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. All these things are great mysteries and great awesome thoughts. We don't fully know what it will be like, but that will be the ultimate answer to this prayer. But when we're praying your kingdom come, we're saying, God, we want some of that now, please. Every miracle you see in our lives, every miracle we experience is a foretaste of the world that's to come. When Jesus declared the kingdom is coming, what did he do? Perform miracles. Because he wants you to know that there's no disease in heaven. He wants you to know there's no death in heaven. So he healed the sick and raised the dead and he did dramatic things as a foretaste of the kingdom that was coming. And so when we're praying, we're asking God that situation would you let your will be done there? Because that looks like the will of the devil. God, let the kingdom of God come in that situation. Bring healing there. Bring change here. Bring a dramatic turnaround there. That's what we're praying. And every miracle has a genealogy. Every miracle, if you follow it back, every miracle has a genealogy. Either you prayed for it or someone else prayed for it. But right back somewhere, there was prayer. Because God uses our prayers to accomplish his purpose. And then he says, Give us this day our daily bread. And this is a prayer for God, would you provide for our needs? There was a, it was a sunny Saturday afternoon, and a pastor and his family, uh, they were hanging out in the garden, and they just got themselves a baby kitten. And they were so chuffed. And this little kitten was just discovering, exploring, and getting its, finding its feet. 
And the children were putting the kitten up on a branch in the tree to see if it could try and balance in the branch. The kitten made its way along the branch, got a bit higher up, and then slipped and ended up finding itself stuck in a kind of Y branch further up in the tree, stuck there. And they couldn't get to it. But the dad was a pastor, and pastors typically have great ideas. So what happened was the pastor got a rope and tied the rope to the tip of the branch and tied the other end of the rope to his car, and he started slowly driving away to bring the branch closer and closer so they could get the kitten down. But what happened was the rope snapped. Boom! The, the, the branch catapulted the kitten, and the kitten disappeared over the hedge and far away. Two weeks later, the pastor was doing some home visits in the community. He, opened, he knocked the door of a lady, and she opened the door, and she said, Oh, hi, pastor. And there, behind her, in the, in the hallway, was his kitten. And he, he didn't say anything at first. He said, Oh, I didn't know you had a cat. And she said, oh, Pastor, you'll never believe what happens. You'll never believe it. Two weeks ago, remember that sunny Saturday afternoon? Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that, yeah. Uh, he said, well, I was out in my garden with my little son, Johnny. And Johnny was going on at me and on at me about getting a cat. And I said, no, Johnny, we're not going to get a cat. But he just kept going on and on. So eventually I thought, okay, this will silence him. Okay, Johnny, here's what we'll do. We'll pray. And if God provides a cat, then fine, but I'm not getting you a cat. So right there in the sunny Saturday afternoon, we got down on our knees, Pastor, and we prayed, God, would you provide us a cat? And you'll never guess what happened, Pastor. (laughs) I'm kidding you on. Give us this day our daily bread. God provides. And then he goes on and says, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is important. Rick Warren, a great pastor from America, he said this, if you don't release those who have hurt you, you will begin to resemble them. If you don't release those who have hurt you, you will begin to resemble them. You've got to make the choice to forgive. You see, forgiveness isn't saying that what they did was okay. If you think it's, oh, that what they did was okay, then you'll not want to forgive them. No, no, you can forgive people. It doesn't make what they did okay. You, you also don't need to wait for them to ask for forgiveness before you forgive them. Some of you are hanging on, I'll wait for them to ask for forgiveness before I forgive them. Well, you might be waiting a long time or forever. You've got to make the choice to forgive them. You know, forgiveness actually might not mean trusting them again. You think, oh, I can't forgive them because how can I trust them for what they did? I get it. Forgiveness and trust are two different things. You can forgive them, but you might not be able to trust them anymore or have them involved in your life. That's okay. But forgiveness is important. You might find it hard to forgive. You're waiting for the emotions to come. They might never come. Don't be led by your emotions. Be led by truth. Jesus says, pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive, as I forgive that person, as I forgive that person. It's a choice. And James chapter 3 tells you that your tongue is a rudder and it directs the course of your life. So you just got to start speaking what is the truth rather than waiting to feel like, oh God, I don't feel like forgiving. No, no, just say, forgive me my sins as I forgive. Because if you say, I will never forget that person, then your tongue has bound you up in unforgiveness and bitterness. So what you need to do is use your tongue to say, Okay, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. And you make the choice and you walk free. I love this prayer. And we're going to stop there, but I, I, I want to say that I use this prayer most days, actually. For me, it's like a pattern. And I don't just use this prayer, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom. I don't use it like a, a script that I repeat, like a babbling pagan. <laughs> Jesus told us not to do that. 
Instead, I see it as a pattern. I see each one of the sections like a zone to be in. And I use it as an unpacking of my prayer. In fact, tomorrow morning, I'm on Facebook Live Prayer, 7 a.m. You can join me. And I'll use these verses, this prayer, as an outline of how to pray. So why not join me? You can use it as an outline of prayer as well. Let's pray just now as we close. God, thank you so much that you're with us. You know every person joining today, and I know you have a plan for their lives. We want to be people who don't just are ritualistic or are religious. We want to be people who have an authentic relationship with you. We want to know you, God. We want to be led by your spirit. We want to be in relationship with you. And I pray, God, for those who know you, God, I pray that we will be, we'll have that secret place. We'll have that secret life, that authentic relationship with God that is so special. If that's you today, just take a moment to commit yourself to that relationship you have with God. Maybe you've taken God for granted. It's time to get deeply passionate again. Why not just take a moment just to commit yourself afresh to prayer life, to a secret prayer life just between you and God. Come on, make that decision. Pray that prayer. Consecrate yourself to God just now. Maybe while you're praying, maybe there's other people here today and you're joining, but you just know that you and God are not yet in relationship at all. I told you about Jesus earlier and the truth is that Jesus Christ is alive. He is just, he is the Lord and he wants to be your saviour. If that's you and you're saying, Peter, I want God in my life. I want this relationship with God. Then take a moment. This moment's for you. Commit yourself to him. Here's how we'll do it. I'm going to help you do that. Pray this prayer with me. What's one line at a time? Pray with me. Say, dear God, thank you for loving me. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place so that I can be forgiven and have eternal life. I believe you rose from the dead. Take first place in my heart. And I declare Jesus is Lord of my life from now on. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. That was an important prayer. That was the most important prayer. And as you today have committed yourself to God, I know God has heard you and he saves you and you're now his. You can call him not just God, but Father. You're his child. Well done. If you prayed the prayer, please let us know you did that because we want to do everything we can. We want to be praying for you and helping you grow in your faith. Let us know on the platform. Let us know or on Facebook or YouTube. Or if you've listened in the podcast, send us a message. Let us know prayed the prayer, you've made that commitment to follow Jesus because we want to do everything we can to help you. Okay, let's worship God.